Welcome to another episode of From Where We Sit. Uh, today I have a great guest today, Agam Jain. He is a digital media planner at the agency. He's actually the latest hire, uh, started in April, and we've uh, it's been a pleasure having him on the team. Really excited today to talk about Agam's experience. Uh, he's actually going to be moving to Seattle, but and by the time you hear this, he could be in Seattle, but he's uh, from the East Coast and living there. And so a lot of good conversation about work from home, along with just media and marketing and just the industry in general. So really pumped to talk to him. So welcome, Agam. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be here. I know. It's always a little bit odd, you know, as the boss of the company, the, the founder interviewing employees, but hopefully we have a really good conversation. I know you, you're very open and honest, so I love it. And that's what we want to, that's what we're here for. So we'll, uh, we'll start off with your path. You know, how did you get here? I think, you know, I know a little about your unique experience, but I think it'd be great for you to, to lay it out because I think it's an awesome path to how you got to, to marketing. For sure. Well, I graduated from uh, college about two years ago in spring 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. And so I studied industrial engineering and also did a minor in management from Purdue, Purdue University out in Indiana. And before I graduated, I'd um, accepted an offer with Anheuser-Busch, the big beer company. And so the offer was actually for this program they called the Commercial Trainee Program. It was a rotational program with a series of roles in marketing and sales and to learn more about that side of the company. And so right off the bat, it was very different from what I'd studied in college, right? I did industrial engineering in college and that was very, very engineering focused, just given the discipline, but I wanted to do something different. And so, you know, just going through the career fairs and applying through different companies, AB extended that offer and coming from college, working for a beer company just seemed very fun. And I went for it. And so I worked with Anheuser-Busch for about a year. And the majority of my time with them was working in their innovation department. And that was sort of like new product development. And my role was more project management in nature. And so it was definitely quite different than what I initially expected. And while that company rolls out a ton of new products and has a really good thing going for them, it was it was not necessarily what I felt I was so passionate about. And so after a year, you know, in um in this world, it's it's very easy to go from one place to another. <laughs> so I decided to um, just leave the company. Um, and so last fall, I took some time off from working and actually studied for my GMAT exam. I took that exam, and so if or when I decide to go to business school, I had that out of the way. Yeah. And after taking the exam, decided to look for other opportunities. In in March of this year, when I was applying for companies, DNW was one of them. And I I didn't necessarily have an intention of joining a an agency or a marketing company. And in general, it was just, I wanted to join companies that were either small or startups or very innovative in nature. And just, at the time, I the show I was watching was uh, Emily in Paris. And so, <laughs> um, like, it was pretty sick just seeing yeah. her um, exploring Paris, you know, leaving the U.S. and, like, joins this marketing agency. And I was like, all right, Seattle could be my Paris. BMW <laughs> is my savoir. And uh, so I just went for it, you know. Yeah. You and Ben, when I was interviewing with you guys, it seemed like a uh, a really cohesive team that you guys have here together and just seemed like a yeah. good opportunity for me to learn yeah, about yeah. marketing. Um, and so I went for it. 
That's awesome. I, I was going to go back to like college. Like you, when you put so much time into, you go to a university like Purdue. I'm from the Midwest. Like I know Purdue and it's very prestigious. And you go and you go down that far of a path of engineering. Like what was the pressure like and how hard was it to make that decision to kind of veer away from that? Did you feel family pressure, internal pressure? Just you spend so much time and invest and you go to a university like that for engineering. So how did you kind of get over that? And how did you make that leap to move beyond engineering into more marketing? I think pretty early on into my education, like maybe freshman or sophomore year, I had a good idea that I wasn't going to end up pursuing engineering as a full-time career. Now, that being said, I did go to school for engineering and there is a bit of, honestly, like Purdue pride to say, you know, you went through Purdue engineering and you did that. And so I stuck with it for that reason. Um, However, just industrial engineering, the, the nature of the curriculum is very uh, broad, like it touches a lot of disciplines. And sometimes they call it like the combination of business and engineering. Now, I think that's a, a bit too graceful to describe it that way, because it is very technical in nature. But I was never like, I did never needed to, um, you know, come to terms with like, that I'm going to be leaving engineering, it was just like a natural path to find something adjacent where I could apply my technical knowledge and problem solving skills, but, uh, you know, not necessarily to apply in such an engineering applied field. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, one of the things that's interesting about, I think, advertising or marketing in general is that it's amazing how certain skill sets can apply to the industry in some sort of way. So for instance, I had a three-year hiatus from advertising where I was working with my brother's startup company and I did sales. And so when I went back into advertising, that three years of work experience, while it was nothing related to marketing, it helped me because I was able to, I got very comfortable talking to more senior level people in sales. A lot of the people that were buying into our program, it was more of an IT infrastructure uh, sale. And I was talking to directors and C-suite and getting them to buy in. And so I felt more comfortable. So when I went into more of a marketing back into advertising, it was a little bit easier for me to present things to clients. So did, did you see any kind of things that have helped make it easier to adapt? I know you had some experiences at Budweiser, of course, but like, do you feel like some of that background has helped make the transition smooth? Absolutely. I think part of it is that these platforms that we use, especially in my role as um, a media planner, they are a little bit technical in nature and suggest so that ease of being able to learn how to use them mm-hmm. and then adapt adapt to uh, just using it daily in my role and picking up different ways to make uh, the work better. I think, you know, the engineering and technical background was applicable there. And then yeah. secondly, I think media and marketing and especially what we do is very adjacent to a lot of technical work. Like we work off of algorithms that other people create. And also we use, um, tracking, you know, for websites and for marketing and um, pixeling and all sorts of practices like that, that I feel like I have a more inherent understanding of that just makes it easier to apply in the work that we do right now. Yeah. So you were kind of alluding, I know in your position, you do media planning in general, but a lot of it lends to paid social at the type of clients that we have, and you're in the platforms a lot. What have you found kind of interesting. I know when you took the job, you wanted to get experience in these platforms. um, And we'll talk about some reasons why in a little bit, but like, what have you found interesting about the platforms unexpected, maybe positively or negatively? Right. I think there's two general areas. One is like how technical the role can be and how tactical 
the work is. And so by technicality, I mean, like, you know, if you described on surface level that I put advertisements out on social media platforms, or I do social media marketing, like anyone thinks that your college intern can just throw a post on social media. But as we both know, it's much more technical than that. And there's a whole uh, nature of like new platforms and programs and mm -hmm. systems to learn that, of course, anyone can learn, but it's there's a barrier enough that companies pay a lot of money for agencies to do yeah. the work for them. They should pay us more. No, um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, secondly, I would say just how tactical the work is, um, right? Like you guess you get past the concept that it takes a bit of expertise to run all of this, but then it's like, it's not just like you put ads out there and, and then you're done at the end of the day. Like, yeah. um, though we don't design the algorithms ourselves that, you know, through Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, um, it's a bit of like uh, riding the wave. Like, you know, we're surfers, we have no control of nature here, but we want to, we want to make the most of the wave that we're given and there's ebbs and flows to like how the algorithms of work and what the company that we're advertising for, what their goals are. And yeah. there is a very big difference between using traffic objective or an engagement objective or yeah. BD views. And there's very nuanced differences that, um, mm -hmm. that just requires strategy and tact technique that, uh, that comes with this role and that yeah. was definitely surprising to learn about and yeah. it's awesome honestly the ride the wave i am going to steal that that is a brilliant line um <laughs> and it's true i mean you have to ride the wave of these platforms because they're changing and you have to you know kind of use we didn't create the algorithms and we have to we don't even know what's in them to be honest. we have to kind of take what we can see from the campaigns and and try to adapt and give our clients the set them up for success and it's getting harder and more fragmented i i did want to say you know i I know you're, um, I was talking about this book recently about, you know, improving my focus. And a lot of the book is talking about like social media and what it does to focus and maybe the harms it does. And it leads me sometimes to feeling guilty for working on these platforms. And it's something I'd mentioned in a previous conversation as well with someone on our team. And they're, you know, these platforms are at the center of a lot of negative attention. How do you feel about that? You know, a younger generation, like, do you feel that, you know, guilty at times? Do you let it end? It's not a big deal. Do you kind of weigh that when you discuss with family, friends, or just internal dialogue about like the value you're providing? Uh, do, do you, how do you balance that off? And how do you feel about working on platforms that sometimes are uh, in the news for negative reasons? Right. I do have conflicting thoughts for different reasons. I think one is if anyone's seen um, or watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma, yeah. I think it was called on Netflix, Yeah, that highlights a lot of problems with the platforms that we advertise on and also like a few years ago i had listened to this talk by scott galloway he's this ny nyu stern professor um, from the management school and he talked about a lot of the concepts but one part of it was he was talking to um the context of it was all in marketing and i'm paraphrasing here but he had so said something on the lines that advertising or seeing ads is the burden of the poor and the uneducated. And oh, no. that, that, that really stuck with me because it's like, it's kind of true, right? Yeah. You think the people who are most susceptible to seeing ads or there's companies out there that have malicious intent. It, it is those groups who would, who would fall more to the blows of that. But at the same time, there's absolutely nothing wrong with advertising. Like in a free market economy, like we live in, 
every business needs to be advertising. It's how you get your word out there. And so I think from my perspective, mm-hmm. I try to be cognizant of who we're advertising for. And yeah. fortunately, I do feel like that all the companies we're advertising for, I yeah. support their goals and their intentions. And also, if there ever was a situation where I personally didn't believe in the company's ideals, I I wouldn't want to work, um, at least work on that account or promote it. I feel that conflict. And, you know, there's different versions of it, right? You know, the algorithms are powerful and really, really have been built upon to be, you know, you can call them addictive or pull you back in. And it's, and I know you mentioned the burden of the poor. It's, it could be anyone can get pulled into these apps and suck you in and just, you know, what is it doing to our brains and our, our ability to think and process? And then we're taking advantage of that in some ways, right? But at the same time, I, you know, a user is just trying to enjoy their day, maybe communicate with other people socially, and they're seeing ads in that mix. And the people working at Meta, for instance, aren't all malicious people. They're probably a lot of people just trying to do good work. And the person on the other end of the ad is probably just someone trying to enjoy their day and have some social connection. And so most of it is fairly benign, but there is elements. And you, it's hard not to separate those things, especially as you're trying to be a company. I like I look at my own perspective. We're trying to run a company with a strong moral compass. And sometimes you have conflicts. I've worked on clients before where they tried actually not running on Meta in protest. And this was around like 2016 election and tried it. And the protest lasted about a couple months and it turned out it didn't make a dent even with a little bit of PR. And the fact is it hurt their business. And so it's like sometimes you fight that and it's a challenge. And I think that if we come in, you know, open eyed and with good intent and do ethical and make ethical decisions with these platforms, I think we can hold our head up pretty high, but hopefully we can push and, you know, that these platforms will evolve into a better place. We can hope. That's at least my perspective. I'm not, you know, again, perfect. I think no one is perfect on any of these stances. We could, the moral high ground could be lost in a lot of ways, but um, that's at least my perspective. It sounds like you're kind of on board with it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something we have to think about as an industry and hopefully we can, it can get better. Um, Absolutely. So you've you've been on the East Coast now for a while in, in the start of the position and working full-time remote in a different time zone, right? And so we've had a lot of conversation about work from home and there's, you know, just generally like pros and cons and challenges. I think the time zone, you know, as we evolve work from home and people are hiring in different time zones now and we're on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast, a three-hour time zone difference. How has it been adjusting to just the time zone and then just getting into a work from home structure how have you found that has it been challenging for you from a process standpoint getting your work cadence down and feeling like you're doing sound work and and that you know maybe there's not being here in seattle could there could be some downsides associated so i guess what is your overall perspective of work from home especially on a different coast i think that the biggest uh challenge is definitely the the time zone difference like you just highlighted it's uh I mean, you know, three hours isn't a lot, but at the extremes in the morning and yeah. in the evening, it can be a lot. At the same time, I am more of a, a night owl than a morning person. And so as the current situation stands, it does benefit me, especially in the mornings. But, uh, you know, as you get towards the evening, like not not everyone wants to keep working late. And yeah. Yeah. sometimes it can be unideal, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, we've made it work and it's never been uh, unenjoyable. Yeah. So I guess just speaking to day to day, regardless of the hours, like, have you created a process for you to stay focused? Do you have, 
Are you more regimented? Are you more digitally focused? You need to write things down. Like how, how have you found work from home, found success in that? And has, and has it evolved in your, you know, in your time the past six or so months? Well, I really started working remotely even when I was finishing my semester at school, because that's when the pandemic disrupted it. And then my first job out of school was started out remote. And so the transition into it was uh, helped out a lot with adjusting to remote life. And I think ultimately I've preferred working from home, working remotely just because of my ability to focus has increased significantly. Um, you know, every time I visited Seattle with uh, with this company, like it, it's awesome being uh, in the office with everyone and hanging out and yeah. you know, conversing. But those have been my most unproductive <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to say I think that because it feels like a special occasion now because it happens not that frequently, like four or five of us or even a couple of us in the office that it ends up being more conversational where I can speak to someone who worked full time at in an office Um it isn't always that way. You get into, you know, it's like head nod, I'm in the office today, and then you just go about your business. But yeah, it is the most distracting days are when we have two, three people in the office for sure. And so it is probably very hard to get work done. But yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, thinking about as people are taking positions in other states, other time zones, you know, do you have, and especially when you start your career, maybe without a connection, you're starting a job, you don't know anyone at the company in most cases. Is there any like advice or thoughts or how have you um, adjusted to starting in a place you didn't know anyone, even though we're a pretty small company, and then I guess adapted to, even though you've been comfortable with it from before, how you've adapted just in a new company setting? And I guess maybe this is your second time. Did you learn anything from your first times that you've just, you've become more comfortable with it over time? I think the way I've adapted and also my advice for someone in a remote setting would be the same. And it would really come down to just asking a lot of questions. Being in a remote setting, it's very easy to get siloed into your role and not to see other parts of the company, what other people on your team do, the greater picture. And so, you know, despite the productivity increase, in my opinion, that comes from a remote environment, also there is a very, very large benefit to the osmosis of just being around people and just collecting information, generating new ideas, uh, conversing with others, like there is a ton of value to that. And to be blunt, you just don't have that in a, in a remote environment. And ultimately, you know, when you're being hired and maybe as a college graduate or someone young in their career, like there are people who want you to succeed and do well in the company, but it comes down to you looking out for yourself. And so think I have tried to make a conscious effort to just ask questions wherever and whenever and about anything. Like if I don't understand something, ultimately it's, it's my decision to try to better comprehend what's going on. You're totally right. Like people can get siloed in, you know, from manager perspective, we don't always know what everyone's doing every moment of the day. And and that's okay. We're not asking. Uh, hopefully, no one's wants to micromanage. It's miserable micromanaging. But like the idea that it can be easy for me or someone else just to forget and just kind of have you doing your thing, and that's where we, the lens in which we look at you. And so the idea that you're kind of exploring beyond what you maybe do day to day. I remember you asking me a question of like, how does all this work? And that like, how do you make money? And like, just getting you just wanted a sense of the bigger picture. Like, how is the company profitable? How can we afford you and others. And that's like a totally fair question. And 
you know, whether you're a big company or a small company, I think more companies are trying to be more open and transparent about what other groups are doing, how the business is going at large. And so that's a really good piece of advice is like push for that because I think people are willing to give it, but if you don't ask for it, they're not going to, in most cases, just openly give it to you. So just being, you know, a little bit pushy, to be honest with you, they say you want, and to be honest in our inter- interactions, like I know you want that. So I feel like almost obligated to give you that because I know that you're asking for it. And so it's a good piece of advice. Like if people know and the people around you know that you're looking for kind of more information and want to be more well-rounded seeing what's happening in the agency, you'll stumble upon it because the people that you're asking for it from will start naturally giving it to you. So that's like a really uh, good piece of advice. What's been fascinating to me about kind of a younger generation, not the overly stereotype, is kind of a side hustle economy. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the work that you do. And it's more than a side hustle, but because it's been around for a little while. But when I first started, it's like you did your job and you focused on that. And the idea of having side work was like not frowned upon, but it was just not done that often. And then when I moved to Seattle, it was a little bit different than Detroit area, um, a little bit more creative and lax in some of its practices. And everyone that we were hiring had a side hustle. They, f- f- like, even if it was for fun, like photography, they all had a lot of like hobbies. Some like to make money. It was actually even open. I remember my old boss, like giving me side work to do and actually getting paid for it and encouraging me to do it. That was kind of weird to have a boss ask me for that. So it's kind of opened my eyes, like the stigma of, oh, don't tell people that you're working on other things. You have other interests. You should only be interested in the thing you're doing. So that leads me to the question, which I know about, I'd love to hear more about is your work with Aries Tickets, explaining more about that, how that came about, and how you view that in terms of working on that versus having your kind of d- dot job with DNW and how you're balancing those two things. So, like, introduce us to Aries Tickets a little bit more, the genesis of that, and then talk about how you're balancing that work, knowing you kind of have a, in quotes, full time job with DNW, but also building a business, a side business. For sure. Um, so Aries Tickets is for anyone who is free promote free promotion. Love exactly. It. Happy to give it here. <laughs> yeah. Not an ad, but a, a, no ad. Not an ad, yeah. but an ad. Go ahead. Yeah, I love that zero dollar CPM. No, but uh, <laughs> um, Aries Tickets is the convenient secure <laughs> ticket exchange for college students. Um, and so I went to Purdue, and uh, my friend very close friend of mine from childhood. We, uh, he went to Penn state. And so Purdue, obviously a very big basketball school, big in football too, but Penn state on the other hand, very big football school, kind of big in basketball. Yeah. Not that big. But, uh, we, uh, in, at least during my years in college, like their students really wanted to get tickets and season tickets were a hot commodity that was hard to come by. And so, it just resulted in students trying to buy and sell tickets from each other through Facebook groups, group me chats, Reddit threads, like wherever you can find other people. But, you know, there's no consistent way to, to find others. And it's very difficult for people who don't know about the ins and outs of just trying to exchange tickets of how to do that. The school has not provided any solution for it. And the school prohibits students from using existing companies like Stabob or Ticketmaster from using those um, because it makes student tickets, which are kind of niche and special, available to the general public. And so we land at this problem here that students just don't have a solution. And I observed this for a while, just been thinking about it. And, you know, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and fascinated by people who've started companies of their own. And so 
as it came closer to graduation, this idea just kept sticking in my head of, could there be a solution for this? And after graduating, um, my friend and I, we had quite a bit of time at home before we both started working um, that summer. And so we both realized we just have a passion for this idea and we just decided to build a solution. And so um, during 2020 and 2021, we we built our prototype, our our product, and we tested it at Indiana University for football in fall 2021 and at Purdue for basketball um, in spring 2022. And then, you know, now it's a fully functioning product that's out in market. Students are using it and we're just trying to expand to more schools and increase the the visibility for it. So how are you balancing those two things now? Like, so you're obviously trying to build a, a like a, not just a side hustle to do some work to make a couple bucks on the side. You're literally building a, a platform and a company out. And how are you balancing that? And do you ever feel stretched thin? Do you feel like you're able to kind of make both of them work and still be productive and maybe not feel like you're just overworked? Right. I, so I have I would say I do feel stretched thin, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just the result of being passionate and invested in both my D&W job and also um, my vision for Aries Tickets. I think both of us who work on this, we, we're full-time, you know, we have full-time jobs and this is really something we're pursuing on the side. And I think it's just that mentality of keeping it as a priority, but also realizing for our our careers and honestly, our financial safety we need to be, have, have our yeah. eggs in multiple baskets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, right, our, our, our main jobs come first and that's our priority. But there is a bit of a sacrifice with, you know, our nights or our weekends and spending time on Aries because uh, it's just what we want to do. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, I get it's like hard to tell me these things, right? But it's like, you know, do you view this? Because I was having a, t- a conversation with someone else who's like an entrepreneur. He started a, a kind of a digital greeting card company. It's doing pretty well. And I was like, why don't you make this half million dollar company a five million dollar company or a ten million dollar company or try to get a you know, like? And he's like, I just want to make enough money to get to my next project, right? Do you view this as like very transactional? Not D and W. That's an unfair question. That's a loaded question. But like Aries, do you view this as like? a thing you want to do that maybe just gets you a consistent stream of income? Do you want to turn it into something much bigger or do you feel like it's a gateway to something else? There are multiple possibilities and outlets that this could take, but I think they all have the fundamental end goal of being the solution for students at, well, at every school. Uh, Most U.S. colleges, they charge students for their tickets. And so there's a lot of students out there who just don't have a solution to to buy and sell tickets with each other. How that comes into fruition, um, it could result in a state where it's just a fully functioning company because it is a an application. So, right while we continue to build and work on it, it is in essence a self functioning entity, and so it could just be a, a a source of revenue on the side. But there are also other paths, and you know it's not like we. We stick out to pursue these, but they could come by where it's generating enough revenue and it's at a point where we need to invest our full time and effort into it. And I think we would both welcome that. But it's not like we're striving towards either of those outcomes. It's just we're trying to make the best possible product right now and just uh, get it out to as many people as possible. Just help out as much as we can. Yeah. 
So kind of pivoting back to your current position and, and wrapping up a little bit as well is, I guess, where do you see your growth? I mean, you've, you've been with DNW for a little while now. You're getting, you know, hands-on experience with a variety of clients, right? That's what do you see kind of like the next steps to help your career? You're obviously very interested in always like continual growth, right? As me knowing you well, but like, where do you want to keep pushing and like, how can companies help facilitate that? Right. Is there, is there, is it process? Is it just communication? Like what things can DNW do or any company do to kind of keep feeling like you're engaged and growing and that you, you feel like you're making progress in your career? I think it's a combination of two things that are almost opposites. One is opportunity, right? I I would never want to be siloed into a group or a role or not saying that I wouldn't want to become a specialist. I think it's awesome to have expertise, knowledge in some domain, yeah. but I personally don't think it's awesome to be just doing one thing endlessly forever. And so DNW or any company that I'm with, I think just providing opportunity to have exposure and experience with different people and different types of work. Uh, that's what I would ask for. And then on the other extreme, I actually think it's just increased flexibility to work and pursue life as me or the employee sees fit. You know, I think the remote, the remote environment and also just the work environment that the world now finds itself in has for the better proved that a work-life balance can uh, be extremely be achieved in a much better way than people were doing so before. Um, And so I think, at least for me, there's other interests, a lot of other interests besides even Aries tickets that I have outside of D&W and outside Mm -hmm. of work. And I think for me to grow, I would want the flexibility, as I do now, to continue to pursue those. Yeah. So last one here, your bit of wisdom here. What's some advice? I mean, you're new to like, advertising specifically, not that you don't have marketing experience as you mentioned before, but thinking of advertising specifically and your experiences, what would be some advice you'd provide to people, I guess, getting going? I think you've talked a lot about how we and manage management or above or what, whatever may be can support, but like for someone new coming in, how can they succeed, right? In today's environment, whether it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go, but like we talk about like working from home, the connection, just the job itself, um, What have you kind of learned that would be a piece of advice that someone could take listening to this that could help us move forward? Because I think think a lot of this in the podcast is that collecting enough information and stories to kind of move business forward, selfishly for the agency DNW specifically, but also just at large, like seeing movement and hearing more from people like you helps us inform us on how we should be moving. And yeah, there's a lot of data points out there, but some of those are from a very specific perspective, right? A very business-centric perspective, HR, C-suites perspective, not as much from kind of actual people doing the work and growing in their career. And so is there a piece of advice that you would provide for maybe other people in a similar boat to you or just like, I don't know, I'm keeping it fairly open-ended because I know you're a thoughtful person, but just like, what are some parting thoughts about like your experiences and how, um, what you'd like to kind of put out in the world? Sure. And I think this is applicable to someone who's new in their career, someone who's in the middle of their career, or someone who's making a career change or anywhere. Um, I would say you should have the confidence to pursue something that you really enjoy doing. And right, 
there's been a lot of like throughout the years, a lot of change in perception of, you know, work is work and life is life. And then work and life should be both enjoyed equally and, or work should be hated. And then you go to your life. And yeah. There's a lot of uh, back and forth in that mentality. Um, and of course, there's always going to be a distinction between what you get paid to do and what you just do in your free time. But I think where the accessibility of just skills and information and where we are now, people really should have the confidence and the ability to be doing something that they enjoy for work, right? Like from my perspective, I'm not saying that media and marketing is my lifelong passion, but I truly do enjoy working it enough that I never feel burdened by it or distraught or disgruntled or anything like that. Like it's just fun. And I happen to be getting paid for it. And yeah. I think that's really cool. And it's also the first job that I felt that with. But now that I do, I would, regardless of the industry or the application, I would never want to go to another environment where that was not the case. Yeah. That's great wisdom there. Um, definitely. And, you know, I like sports or let's say, you know, football. It doesn't mean I have to work in football, right? But there's like, there's elements. What I learned when I first got out of college, it was like, I wanted to be in sports marketing. I thought I was going to be in sports marketing, but I kind of found a career in media because I found that I like the balance that media provided. It was analytical, but it was strategic. It was data centric, but then you get to be creative and kind of big thinking and throwing out ideas. And it gave me the balance that what I liked about sports. And there's always an element of teamwork and bringing people together, whether it's creative or strategy or media or, you know, any, any of the individual groups. And so you can find, you know, love and passion. And I get what you're saying. And it's like, there's going to be the balance of like, yes, I think people are starting to look for maybe like, it has to be my passion, but it, it's not quite that you need to find the things that drive you and the skills and the kind of the, the things that intrigue you. Right. So one thing about you, you're a curious person and you like to problem solve. Right. And that's, I know as an agency, when I'm interviewing now, I'm not even looking for skill sets as much anymore. It's like literally just curiosity and problem solving skills is like the only two things I'm looking for. And if people bring a little bit of passion to the table on top of that, like bonus, and if they're passionate and curious and like to problem solve, they're going to be successful in this industry. And so if you're that type of person, marketing can work very well, even if you know, every product or client or you work on isn't perfect. And I think that you're kind of on on point with your analysis of how to find the right things for you and, and, and pursuing those. So always an intriguing conversation with you, Agam. I know we have some conversations on the side. I always like talking to you. Um, thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Definitely going to have you back again. I think there's going to be some creative ways for the DNW folks to get involved with the podcast in the future. Hopefully we can move this beyond the DNW team and, um, Thank you for joining today and uh, appreciate your time. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you.